In our gospel passage this morning, Jesus's first 30 or so years are sped through like a runaway freight train. This is chapter one in the gospel of Mark. To compare, chapter one in Matthew is where there's a genealogy of Jesus and his birth is explained and talked about. Chapter one for Luke is when John the Baptist is born and Jesus's birth is foretold. And then the Gospel of John has those verses about the Word becoming flesh and then goes into testimony of John and talks about Jesus' first disciples. So we just go straight from no birth, we just go straight to Jesus' ministry and baptism. Mark doesn't include details about the birth of Jesus, nor does he include stories about the young Christ child. And He begins with a quote from the prophet Isaiah referring to John the Baptist. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Then we're given a description of those he is baptizing and a description of John himself. And he says, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thongs of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then, boom, Jesus is getting baptized. And boom, Jesus is in the wilderness. And boom, Jesus is proclaiming the good news. Mark's gospel, in general, is more brief than Matthew and Luke. But that makes the message all the more clear. The absence of narratives about Jesus' birth and early years is not an accident. Mark takes us directly to where the meat of the story happens, Christ's redeeming work and the fulfillment of the scripture. We can start at Christ's baptism in the spirit because this is where he receives his affirmation and summons. This is what baptism is. We admit our flesh is broken and we commit our spirit to the Lord. Our lives become a testament to the redemption of Jesus's life, death, resurrection, and ascension. We are transformed through baptism. But what in Jesus, who was sinless, changed after he is baptized? John was preaching baptism for repentance, to help others come to God and prepare for the coming of the kingdom. Jesus was the coming of the kingdom. Jesus chose to be baptized as an outward act of dedication to God's plan. Jesus knew he must be the example. When God broke through the heavens and told Jesus how proud he was, Jesus got his confirmation that he had done the right thing. Jesus' ministry was set at that point. He knew what was coming and what he was there on earth to do. And then very suddenly, he is driven out into the wilderness. He publicly dedicates himself to God's plan and purpose and then for 40 days is tempted by Satan and surrounded by wild beasts. Have you ever felt like you acknowledged something important about your life or changed something that needed changing and then you were put into a position to prove your dedication to that change? To suffer with it, to wrestle, even though you knew it was the right path. This kind of thing happened to me twice in a span of three years after I got to seminary. When I arrived, I was ecstatic to get started. After having received the call to ministry, I felt relieved and looked forward to such a 
simple, straightforward vocation. How hard can it be to share your faith and encourage others? I mean, okay, I had seen my mom and, you know, how she worked in the church and how it took up a lot of her time, but my faith was unshakable and it would be so fun to absorb all the knowledge they were going to share with me. I knew I would end up helping people in some way, living and giving the way Jesus taught us to do. I come from a long line of caring and self-sacrificing women and men, and I feel like this was the perfect place for me. I started classes and I loved my first semester. I took the intro to Old Testament course. Yeah, it was only a semester long, which is ridiculous, but you know, we got through some of the Bible. I learned a lot. I loved learning about the history of the Bible and I loved learning Hebrew. I loved learning about the historical context of the scriptures and how that factors into what we have in front of us now. And for some reason, it didn't bother me when I was told that Moses did not write the Pentateuch and that the books were written by different people over a long period of time. I felt this made the Bible even more of a miracle, that it came together for us the way it is. My second semester was a little different. My unshakable faith began to waver. It was the Intro to New Testament course. My thoughts after the first several classes and learning about history and the differences in the Gospels were, I quote, why are they messing with my Jesus? I remember coming home from seminary that summer and asking Pastor Mike how he reacquainted himself with Jesus after learning so much textual, textual and historical information. How do you take four separate Gospels and a bunch of letters written by different people and still have the Jesus you grew up believing in? The honest answer is you don't. It may sound a bit dramatic, but I felt driven out into the wilderness. I felt lost and alone. So many of my peers seemed to already know the things we were learning and didn't appear to be struggling. They were hiding it. Pastor Mike recommended several books that were this big, and I ordered them right away. They probably would have been helpful, but I honestly never read them. I knew that I didn't need more information, more history. I needed my savior back. I wanted to forget what I had learned. I had made this life-altering decision to become a minister. I had already started the ordination process with the PCUSA, and I was becoming disillusioned and cynical. What was happening? Wasn't I doing the right thing? Disclaimer, I'm going to be really vulnerable with you all, and I hope that it helps some of you if my story hits home for at least one person today, it will be worth it. But also please know that this is not a judgment on anyone else's habits. This is my story. After the loss of my Sunday school Jesus and questioning if I had made the right choice, I began self-medicating. Contrary to popular belief, alcohol is allowed on seminary campuses. Yes, even in the dorms. Seminarians seriously put on ragers, crazy parties. I don't know why, but it just, that's, that's how it is. I learned how it felt to forget, to drown my feelings and laugh the night away, pretending that everything is fine. 
I am not proud of this, but I share it with you because it is something I feel many can relate to. Not necessarily with specifically alcohol, but with anything that becomes an addiction. The drinking, of course, only made things worse. Many of my peers had come to join me in my disillusionment at this point, so it was easy to commiserate. The sad part is that it seemed like a socially acceptable way to deal with our problems. We're in a helping field and it will never be easy, so of course we drink just to take the edge off. I got lost in the wilderness and like Jesus, I met the tempter and I met plenty of wild beasts. But thanks be to God, there were also angels. The angels, my professors and friends, pushed me to confront this false thinking that it's okay to drink if you're in a helping profession. What truly saved me was a confrontation by someone I deeply respect, telling me that I would not be able to do ministry if this is how I chose to live my life. I started an internship at a hospital as a chaplain that summer, and my new way of living began. I had an amazing and encouraging group of peers. They even made me a coin out of a mason jar lid for my 90 days sober anniversary. I learned a lot about myself, and I learned about the way I minister to others. It helped to pray for others and to put the focus outside of myself. I began to see how there is room for doubt and questions without throwing your entire faith out the window. I saw the difference faith makes in people's lives and the amazing motivation it can provide in our behavior towards other people. I went back to scripture and I found a new way to take all the things I had learned in seminary and still believe with all my heart in Jesus's redemptive acts of love. Then, when everything seemed to be coming together, I began having severe panic attacks and I found myself back in the wilderness. This was a level of anxiety I had never felt before. I would walk into the cafeteria for a meal, everything seemed normal, and I would find myself not being able to breathe. I would have to run back to my dorm room and almost hyperventilate until one of my friends found me. What was wrong now? I got my life together, didn't I? It turned out that now I was self-medicating with helping other people. This is where I got my self-worth. If I helped someone else, then I meant something. I was something. I was someone. But if I didn't help anyone else, I was nobody. I had again lost who I was in the midst of temptation to be needed and the call to ministry. I became depressed and I sunk real low. One of the lowest times I've had in my life. I truly felt alone. I was giving, 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 and it felt like I was getting nothing back. The remedy this time was my parish ministry internship. I was given the advice to make a point for looking for a female pastor to work with because I grew up with Pastor Mike, and as great as he is, it's really good for a female minister to have a female role model, and I really appreciated it. I found this tiny little church in Forest Grove, Pennsylvania that had a solo female pastor and I had a church family again. The church welcomed me with open arms. They, bless their souls, had to put up with some of my first sermons. 
Pastor Sue, my mentor, sat me down and talked to me about self-care and setting boundaries, which is, of course, something I had heard before, but she added something different. She got vulnerable with me and from personal experience told me about the dangers of trying to shepherd a flock when you cannot even get to the sheep. She shared with me about her near burnout and how she had had to change her life in order to continue doing ministry. Once again, I was being told that if I did not change my life, ministry would be next to impossible. Vulnerability can be so very tough. We've learned a lot about vulnerability in recent years from Brene Brown, and if you haven't seen her TED Talk, I recommend it. I learned a lot about vulnerability from experience when I did my residency training to be a chaplain. When you walk into a hospital room to visit someone, you are standing in a position of power. You have all your clothes on, and hopefully you have your health. If you want to talk to the patient in that bed about things as real as, where is God right now? You have to be able to show that person in the room that you care about what, what they're going through. This is what vulnerability does. If you share yourself with others, they will share themselves with you. Jesus' baptism and wilderness temptation were very vulnerable moments for him. Yes, the creator of the universe, vulnerable. This was part of becoming fully human. He was just getting started in his ministry, and I can almost imagine the pressure he felt. Almost. Probably not. In Mark, it doesn't say that Jesus went into the wilderness willingly. It says he was driven out into the wilderness by the Spirit, the same Spirit that came down to tell him that he's beloved. The Spirit went with Jesus into the wilderness and didn't leave him. Angels accompanied Jesus in addition to the wild beasts, and God was there. Because of the life Jesus lived, God is able to meet us in places of intense vulnerability. God knows because he experienced it. If I had not had the solid faith foundation this church provided for me, I would not have made it through seminary. If I had not had angels and Jesus meet me in the wilderness, I would not be here preaching to you today. The first Sunday of Lent is today. And we had Ash Wednesday service on Valentine's Day. We talked about our limited time in this world and the dust to which we will return. Super romantic. During this season, we are encouraged to walk through the wilderness with Jesus for 40 days. We remember the struggle and temptations. We remember the road that Jesus took toward the cross. We remember that we are redeemed because of the ministry of Jesus. The two texts that we read this morning have lots of really good points, but the one that stood out to me most is the pervading theme of God's redeeming love and how God seeks us in the person of Christ. First Peter reminded us that Christ suffered for us once and for all to bring us to God. Mark reminds us that Christ began his ministry in hardship. We are reminded of our baptisms as well. We offer our lives to the creator, redeemer, and sustainer of the universe. We agree to dedicate our short time on this earth to following Jesus and being guided by the Holy Spirit. The spirit that drove Jesus out into the wilderness is with us through whatever we may encounter. 
If we recognize and allow it, the Spirit will be a guiding force in our lives. I had to do this to escape from my wilderness. The Spirit was with me, but I couldn't stand idle. I had to adjust on my end. I had to listen to others, to the message God was trying to tell me. I learned that even though the wilderness is scary and lonely, it is often where we meet Jesus again and again. We are made alive in the Spirit each time we encounter our faith anew, each time we are challenged. The Spirit never left Jesus in his wilderness and will not leave us in ours. Amen.